and welcome to this week's VFX show. It's a special kind of show. I'm actually in uh, America, so my apologize if my audio quality isn't quite up to scratch. And uh, Matt and I are uh, just doing another one of our Westworld um, enjoyable podcasts. Matt, how are you? Uh, I'm good. Yeah, I mean, this is always this is a fun one. It's cool that they gave us a second season, so we could do a our third, technically, I guess, our third. Um, Westworld show right before the finale. <laughs> yes, we uh, we had so much fun doing Westworld before that we just thought we just definitely want to come back. Now, as we're recording this, we're between episodes nine and ten. Now, I don't know when you guys are listening to this, of course, because it's a podcast. But if you're listening to it after the final eps come out, uh, we won't be able to comment on that. But you will be able to find out whether our wacky theories were in fact right or wrong going into. Uh, into the final ep or after the final ep is out. And I've got to say, I, I'm one of the things that I love about this show, in addition to the visual effects and the sort of general world making, is the complexity of the plot. But it, Matt, it hasn't necessarily done the show a lot of sort of service this season in terms of the ratings, has it? No, I mean, I think uh, it's, it's the plot has gotten so, um, I think really interesting, but it's become so Baroque, so complex. And there's a lot of um, sort of disjointed time jumps um, back and forth. And I think that for sort of uh, maybe the casual viewer, I think it's become a lot more challenging for people. Whereas I think for, you know, people who are really into it and kind of like the the lore and kind of like the puzzle, maybe maybe like you and me, I might think, um, you know, I think it's, it's, uh, it's actually gotten really interesting, but, uh, they, it feels like they've crammed, uh, what I, I would almost say, I feel like they've crammed two seasons into this season. I think there's the problem we've got really is I definitely know they could make this show have, uh, a more accessible, um, plot line, which probably would reflect in higher ratings. I mean, I, I almost said, I'm sure that they get higher ratings. I don't know. They would for sure get higher ratings, but but it's conceivable that they could have done one that was more accessible and got much higher ratings. Um, the thing about that, though, is that um, and I can only just go to music. You know, it's possible to make music that sells really, really well, uh, hit singles that are completely not memorable. And then there's the possibility of coming out with that definitive album that is just sensationally good but doesn't actually top the charts. And yeah. I like to think that's where we are. I think it's something incredibly interesting, super, super um, engaging if you're into it. But it's just not everybody's taste. And uh, hopefully it's enough people's taste to uh, continue with the series past. I think they've already commissioned series three, but whether they go to a, a fourth season or not, it's another matter. Yeah, I wasn't sure if I'd read that they'd, they'd committed to a se- season three or not, but it seems like they you would want a season three, but I, I really do feel like, uh, you know, part of it too is I guess it's science fiction and science fiction in general, you know, I think, um, for some people, you know, that's a, a deal breaker. The second it's science fiction, if, if you're just not into it, if you're not a fan, maybe that's, you can't go that distance. Whereas I think that, um, you know, Game of Thrones, uh, well, it is kind of science fiction. It's much more, you know, fantasy as a, as a, um, as its primary genre. And so, you know, maybe there's, that might have more ways in for more people too. It's hard to say, but. I mean, Game of Thrones has been really interesting because in, in that sense, the first series wasn't that mythical. There weren't dragons per se on the sort of scale. It was 
mm-hmm. almost like the first series of Game of Thrones. You weren't quite sure whether or not North of the Wall was just an evil group or actually sort of, you know, supernatural. And they really right. didn't have a lot of supernatural in it. And then the other thing that uh, I think is really interesting is that unlike maybe, um, you know, Walking Dead, they managed to kill a lot of characters in um, in that show and and not lose the audience. Like I think that uh, mm-hmm. one of the problems with Game of Thrones, certainly from my point of view, is just how many times I've screamed at the set when they've killed off favourite <laughs> characters and yet I'm still watching, yeah, sure. whereas uh, I know other people, I, I wasn't really um, a Walking Dead sort of connoisseur, but people that I know that were just like, oh, I'm over that show, I just, I can't stand it, like they've just killed too many too many good characters. Um, well, and the great thing about this show is that you can you can kill people off, and you know, depending upon uh, where they sit in the hierarchy, they can come back, or they can come back um, if they're uh, human. You know, they can come back um, in flashback too. So that's one thing that's kind of cool about this one is the the sort of um, Nolan signature time jump. Well, I'd actually <laughs> say that there's a third way they can come back in this, which is Ford's way of coming back as a. Mm-hmm. Uh, this uh, embodied consciousness, which is uh, in of itself a really complex idea. Yeah, yeah, a ghost in the machine. So let's let's deal with the show first, and then move to the um, visual effects, as we tend to like to do. So, so what do you think? The, I mean, what the heck do you think is going on this season? Uh, well, I mean, from what I can tell, it does seem like uh, you know we've we've discovered some new things about. Um, about the park, about the park's primary purpose, about um, the Delos uh, Corporation and the Delos uh, family, I guess. Um, and it seems like, uh, well, f- uh, f- the Ford character, I think, had a, although it's not totally clear, but it seemed like he had a, a particular plan. He was sort of more almost like a, um, uh, you know, what's the name of the... Uh, Attenborough, like a Jurassic Park, you know, Sir Richard Attenborough kind of character almost. And um, it seemed like the whole, um, the Delos concept was, uh, you know, initiated the whole project where they decided what they wanted to do was um, basically, it kind of almost feels like it's playing off the idea of the way we talk about things like Facebook or something, you know, social media, where it's like they can build and develop a profile of you uh, based on, you know, your online presence or, you know, tracking cookies or something like that. And uh, this feels like it's a more um, kind of, you know, future version of that where, you know, they can actually uh, record and um, capture, you know, your behavior, your DNA, and predict um, decisions and choices that you might make for a host of reasons. The first being, you know, seemingly the idea that they could you know, blackmail you. They could have some control over decisions you might make in business, um, seeing as how it's mostly the wealthy and powerful who come to the park. Um, But then it seems like that evolves as well over time to this um, pursuit, um, uh, kind of like looking for the, um, uh, what what am I searching for? The, uh, you know, fountain of youth, kind of like they're trying to figure out a way in which they can embed uh, and replicate uh, consciousness and embed it in a host and essentially become, um, for all intents and purposes, immortal. Although that seems to be um, complicated <laughs> in some ways. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've got I, to I would say that was kind of my take on this season so far. Yeah, I think the, the one that got me the most that was that quote uh, where they were like, you know, 
uh, it's not about them wanting to become you. It's about you wanting to become them. In, in like in the, mm-hmm. that's the misquote, but it's the, the theory that instead of having this whole focus on whether the, um, the, the these synthetic beings in the park are becoming human, which is, I guess, the essence of the first series, it's actually we're trying to get the humans so that they could uh, occupy um, a different vessel. And I'll come... I mean, yeah, it's kind of like Pinocchio in reverse or something. Yeah. Which is an interesting problem in of itself um, at a couple of levels. But the thing that, so that's really interesting. I, I do think that's really uh, phenomenally good. And I think there have been particularly good episodes, uh, particularly episode eight. Uh, it's like just a cracker of a well-made um, episode. But it is really convoluted in terms of what's going on. And it's convoluted because of the idea that there's not just the reality and the time jumping that we've seen in the first series, mm-hmm. but that there's this separate a staging area, a virtual reality, if you like, or staging area where there's a simulation of the park and that they can therefore go through and sort of test out how things would go. So so that threw a whole spanner in the works because whereas before I could like see something and say, okay, that's in this timeline either before or after that. Right. It's almost like here's... Wait, so ref- refresh my memory though. Like where where is it that we're seeing what you're describing, the simulation? I could think of maybe one example and I'm wondering if I'm correct. No, we've seen the simulation quite a bit up in the first episode, and and, and mm-hmm. the, the hallmark for the simulation is letterboxing. So literally, oh, as a graphic right. design, there's these black bars top and bottom, and it looks otherwise completely normal. And if you're not paying attention, you kind of don't notice it. But whenever the black bars are top and bottom, what you're seeing is something that's running inside the simulation, uh, inside the cradle. And the thing about that is that the same scenes have been done both in and out of that alternate reality. So the easiest way to describe it is what happens with Dolores because Dolores is with Arnold. It's been the simplest mm-hmm. terms possible. And, and, and in the, you know, the naivest of all interpretations of any particular scene, she is a robot. He is somebody that's programming her. And there we go. She's sitting in a chair. He's talking to her and, you know, um, asking her questions and asking, you know, like basically pausing or doing whatever he's doing in a controlled lab environment. Okay, so that's one reality, and it's a traditional narrative, no surprises version. Did you notice the first time you were watching it, did you notice the um, aspect ratio shift? Uh, I started noticing it, but I had no idea what I was looking at until uh, later in the series when it became obvious that what we were looking at was, um, so I didn't know why I was seeing that, um, right. and yet then as soon as I knew why I was like, okay, of course that explains a whole lot of stuff. Okay. So we've got that one. Then there's the second version where, um, it's a jump in time. So you've got that same conversation, those two, and it's happening at different times. But of course now we know that Arnold, um, and you know, like in terms of characters, we, we've changed effectively what we know to be, or who we know to be who, if that makes sense. Um, right. because you know, uh, at the end of series one, you know, it's probably no big surprise here. Um, but Bernard is Arnold, Arnold is Bernard. And so now you've got, okay, is it Bernard or is it Arnold that's talking to Dolores sitting in the chair? It could be, uh, him pre being re brought back to life by Ford as a droid or not. So that's, and so you didn't know where you were in time and that was like enough of a head spin. And now this series, you've got a third layer, which is you see Bernard slash, um, you know, Arnold sitting there talking to Dolores, but in fact, 
Whereas initially it was all about him testing her programming because she spent so much time with him when they go to the simulation, because they want to simulate that new synthetic version of, um, of, uh, Arnold, they decide to run it first in the simulation and they get Dolores to check his programming because she knows what it was like, uh, to sit with the real guy. And so she's saying, Oh no, that's not how the real guy would have reacted. And only when they got that down pat, did they release him from being in the simulation version, go from beta effectively, put him out in the park inside a real, uh, droid and, and we're off to the races. Right. And Ford is the one who's uh, creating the Bernard, right? Yeah. So I totally agree with you. Ford is Hammond, uh, the mad kind of guy who doesn't control everything at a corporate level. And Ed Harris is the guy as the man in, the man in black who ends up owning, running uh, as part of the board, the, the park and his crew. Yeah. Through, through marriage, right? Yes. Essentially. And his crew, um, effectively have evil intent and some of that evil intent is trying to sort of effectively stop their uh, their founder from dying by being able to put his consciousness in a robot which fails repeatedly right. for years and also that corporation the dallas corporation is saying hey what if we could also work out how to instead of when someone's got cancer um, we sell them this thing and we put them into um uh, a body and the the theory is Ford hates this idea of the park being used as this corrupted uh, scientific lab to get eternity for rich people. Generally just doesn't like humanity. He makes this great point in the last show about how animals either avoid humans or, uh, or are subjugated by them because they're just such an evil species. So he's quite happy to leave his mortal coil, go into um, a, a disembodied consciousness inside this simulation himself and now actually inhabit the, uh, the consciousness of other, um, you know, members of the park that are moving around. So somehow or other his programming, his consciousness can sit in Arnold's head or, uh, uh, you know, maybe even Dolores's, uh, not sorry, Dolores's in, um, in, uh, Maeve's head. And so he can kind of move around as this sort of like bit of code that, uh, somehow wanders around the, the, I can put this, the, the intranet of Westworld. Well, which, which seems to suggest that uh, the Ford character is privy to a certain kind of knowledge, a certain kind of awareness of the, as the, I guess, as the designer, right? I mean, he, he actually seems to have in some ways cracked the code, uh, right? That, um, that the uh, men in, man in black or the William character was trying to do with the replication of the James Delos character, right? Yes, he seems to have cracked that code and then some. Because right to have cracked it, he would just be able to exist inside a, uh, you know, like so take somebody's inside body, of another body. Yeah. So imagine yeah. you had Teddy's body, for example, um, who, uh, you know committed suicide at the end of the last episode but we just take teddy's body for a second then yes ford theoretically could put his consciousness into this young man's body and that didn't seem to be possible before because it caused a degradation after um hours if not just days but yes he could do this and just happily live there but he's going to do more than that he can jump between different um uh you know hosts and robots in the park and he can exist inside the 
effectively the mainframe and uh, do stuff there. He can do things wherever he wants. So he's become this omnipotent super consciousness, uh, not even just the one that the uh, corporation is trying to, to, to do. And then he goes about making sure that sort of they burn the boats uh, behind him so that it doesn't seem like anybody else is going to be able to do this, having getting characters and people to yeah, blow things up. Well, I think that he was behind uh, the um, explosion in the uh, cradle and he's behind a bunch of things that are causing stuff to get blown up. To stop. Right, right, yeah. Um, so that's, that's – it's also very complicated because this season we've seen people like Teddy – very early in the series, dead. And so clearly, as he's not dead in the show, uh, he's not waterlogged like a bunch of other characters. Um, we've got this thing that we've been moving towards. It became apparent in the latter half of the series that we're all heading towards the scene we saw at the beginning of the series where a whole lot of uh, people are dead due to a flooding and a draining of a um, of sort of an artificial lake, and, and there you go. And so we've been moving towards this, and last episode we got even more in a bloodbath on top of that we've got two other things i think are really interesting one is is the man in black himself human or not and he is so delusionally upset that uh, he's being tricked at every turn that if he is human he certainly just accidentally killed his own daughter thinking that she was uh, not real which is pretty bad um and so that's ed harris's backstory has been revealed with his wife uh sort of mm-hmm. learning to hate him and his daughter being there and then uh, she may or may not be um, actually dead and may not actually be a real person. Uh, it's it's so hard to tell. Uh, she was scanned at the last uh, minute, but we never saw the results. But we never saw the result, yeah. Although although you did see uh, like a, a non-reaction from exactly. uh, the rescue party. So it made, made you think that like, oh, well, she must also be uh, human. And I, I mean, I think that the whole... Um, I don't know what what you think about this, but just to kind of get into it, I do think that uh, the Ed Harris character, the Man in Black, like for me, story wise, like he has to be human. Yeah, I, I agree. I think he has to be human. He's challenging now at the end of the episode whether he is human by sticking a knife in his own arm to see right. if he is a human or not. Um, he may or may not be human. I think he's got to be human for it to be a good story. And yeah, that's what I think. And he's got to have killed his real daughter for it to be a good story. And also, I think we had a plausible payoff on why she was there, that she wanted to expose everything. Otherwise, without her mm-hmm. doing that reveal, it was a very unmotivated reason for the daughter being so determined to stay in the park. But we have a reason that's plausible that she wanted to stay in the park, which was to expose her father and bring him down. Um, yeah, they did a good job, I think, in that in the last week's episode, episode nine um vanishing point i guess right is what it's called i think they did a great job of um of really creating uh, a rich backstory for uh the whole um uh william's whole family i think uh, and and their motivations sort of the the darkness uh you know and the, the way that they uh cut that episode together where it opened with him speaking uh the lines that he's saying to his wife the night they come back from a party and she's kind of drunk and, you know, and, she, and so the, the way they, um, the elliptical construction of the episode I thought was really nice. And it, it definitely made, um, 
I don't know, everybody's motivations came out to, <laughs> came out pretty clear. Like it was easy to tell like who and why and what and sort of the, the madness that has been visited on uh, or maybe um, self-generated in a lot of ways too, but um, on the William, uh, the man in black character. Um, in that, I think the Vanishing Point episode, which is episode nine of this series and the most recent one that we've heard it, and the one before it, which was the Ghost Nation story, mm-hmm. both had a sense of a, payoff inside the episode in that we had an arc a reveal or whatever that made kind of sense i would say there were other episodes earlier which like made no sense whatsoever even if you're into the story it just seemed to be almost (laughs) sort of unrelated little sequences where you were like what the huh what um whereas you know i felt like the ghost nation thing had this arc uh and even vanishing point you know you you've you've got a question about um Juliet committing suicide, you get an explanation, it jumps around in time, sure, but it's conceivably quite easy to understand what happened there and uh, and how they got to be where they were. And there was I almost a- feel like in the in the writer's room, you know, it's like when in the last speaking of the Ghost Nation episode eight, uh which uh kick Kiksuya, Kiksuya, I think. Um, And then the last episode nine, it feels like, you know, in the writer's room, these are the episodes that they, that they, they knew they were going to tell these stories probably in conjunction with uh, the final episode of this season next, the next, or I guess this week's episode on Sunday. Um, And it felt like those are the, the, that's the spine of the narrative. That's the spine of the story and all the, the previous episodes, well, entertaining to be sure, including the, the samurai, uh, Shogun world (laughs) episode, uh, or two episodes, I guess, where we're kind of traversing in that world. I feel like, um, those were more, um, all, all just sort of, uh, planting the seeds, getting us to this sort of, um, maybe these last three episodes. I think, I think Maeve in uh, samurai world was incredibly, rich and rewarding stuff like her doing ninja stuff in shogun world was just fun it was uh i don't know that it pushed the story forward that well in one sense well we started to learn i think in that episode right that she was capable of unlocking um like there was a whole lot of things that she started to have access to that she didn't know she had access to and and she was um you know started unlocking a whole host of um aspects of her capabilities. And then we also saw the proxy relationship. Um, and th- I thought that was hilarious just as a writing thing. No, it was that very they, good. Yeah. Yeah. The identical storylines and, but there it's in another world and he's like, Hey, that's me. That's no, that's you. And, he's like, and so yeah. we got to sort of see I had her to write, empathy. I had to write so many stories, you know, stop yeah, picking totally. on me that I just copied. Yeah. That was hysterical. <laughs> it was so great. And, uh, and then you get to sort of have a, a greater degree of, empathy between the two sort of versions of the the Maeve character, the madam, when we see, um, you know, the death of the daughter uh, played out in a different context than what we'd seen previously in the sort of flashback um, death that we'd seen of um, of the Westworld Maeve daughter. And, and I think so. Sizemore just became phenomenally interesting, like was so well set up. And then just yeah. become a phenomenally interesting character. I guess what I would have done differently this season, and we're going to get to what we don't know in a second, but what I would have done this season is actually used uh, Raj World more. I think if we'd had three plots playing out that were then, yeah. and so we had like the Raj World, like let's all the Men in Black stuff had happened in the Raj World, and mm. so that was happening there, and Samurai was happening over here, and Dolores's team was happening in the Third World. 
And then they could have used things from each world to either fight each other or do stuff. That would have been a little easier for the audience to understand what was going on and cooler because you'd have been jumping between three different worlds. Uh, as it was, I felt like instead of the Raj world, we got outside of Westworld as a, another place being we saw Dolores out uh, as a cocktail waitress kind of thing, the, the flashback to how they set up the park. And even beyond that, the stuff with the men in black obviously happens outside the park. Um, and, and unfortunately, it seems to have blown up my major theory that this is all happening on some alien planet because it does seem <laughs> to be in the uh, East South China Sea and there seems to be a scene with the Chinese yeah. kind of saying, you know, or, or rather someone saying to the Chinese, you don't have jurisdiction here, which I was, I was very disappointed about. I've got to say that. Very disappointed. <laughs> yeah, that, I remember talking about that last, last. I think last year sometime we, we discussed the possibility of it being on some distant alien world. But <laughs> yeah, no, I actually really like the departure um, narratively from the park. I, love, I really enjoyed going to um, the real world this season and seeing aspects of... Um, the, sort of the the introduction of the concept of uh, the hosts and the park uh, concept to um, members of the Delos family and the, sort of the some of the the scenes where they're at a party a cocktail party and then they do the sort of classic now Westworld kind of effect where uh, all the actors you know essentially look like they freeze right and then um, you know who's real and who's um, a host, or at least who's who's uh, who we think is real and who's a host. Yeah, I mean, it's really it was very startling to see, um, you know, uh, uh, Rachel Wood's character, like Dolores, basically. I, mm-hmm. I think she was still Dolores, but I mean, she didn't she didn't have to be Dolores. She's but that that actress playing, I presume, Dolores in an evening gown. <laughs> I say that because obviously you can change the, the narrative of a of one of the you know. Um, host and it can just therefore have a whole different story and theoretically a whole different name kind of although it seems like they they never forget <laughs> yeah well that's true so I, I think that they're really great things there's a few things i think which before we get to the visual effects we need to discuss that just either don't make any sense or hopefully will make sense in this final ep. and i don't think we have a really good motivation for what the hell dolores is on about like and here's the thing even when you've got a character that's being truly mean you have to have something that's redeeming about them like you've got a bad character but they'll do anything for their kids kind of thing right and you can get behind that but dolores is getting really close to just using everyone and we kind of don't know what she's after or where she's going with it other than she seems to be wanting to tear it all down yeah well and i also thought i mean i have a couple theories about that possibly but the other thing i also had a little bit of a problem with was how quickly uh, the Dolores character seemed to make a psychological leap this season from being a certain type of character who's having a kind of a slow motion awakening or a dawning awareness to being this kind of expert military, uh, you know, commander and, uh, co- you know, commanding this these troops and kind of doing all these things without having the same... Um, access to the underlying programmatic aspects of um, the other hosts in the way that that the Maeve character does. And so they've kind of set up an interesting, um, you know, polemic between uh, the Maeve character and the um, Dolores character and that they sort of, then they have crossed paths a few times this past season and they both seem to have sort of different um, 
different goals um, overall and a different, um, I, it made me think, um, it kind of made me think of, um, you know, they're the two, uh, two of the oldest hosts, right? And they're sort of the two daughters of, um, of Ford in a strange way. I think he says that about to Maeve in the, the last episode. He talks about how she's like his favorite. And um, See, now that's really right. interesting in its own right because I think up until he said that, I always felt like Maeve was the aberration, like she became self-aware on her own and then mm-hmm. through her own cleverness got her stats jacked up by one of the, right. the guys and so she wasn't part of a Ford plan, whereas Dolores seems to be aware because she's part of an elaborate Ford plan. And then there's a third type, which is the Ghost Nation type, which is mm-hmm. uh, I'm from the original set and I just started remembering, and then I pieced stuff together. And so some yeah. people become aware because Dolores kind of whispers in their ear and says uh, the magic words that causes them to sort of become awake. Some of them uh, are manipulated by um, the intranet Wi-Fi trickery that uh, Maeve <laughs> comes up with because she's got everything jacked to 11. She can just control yeah. them. And then some of them just become self-aware and try to work out what the hell's going on here uh, but in well, no they're, way, like, they're like learning machines, right? Like exactly. they're actually arriving at conclusions of their own through, you know, their own programming there. And so I think that's what made the ghost nation episode. So yeah, but the ghost nation thing was so marvelous when he was like, Oh my gosh, you, you're like, I think he's described as like a flower growing in the darkness, um, mm-hmm. that we weren't looking there and look what you did. And I thought that was just brilliant and charming, but I'd always felt that was what Maeve was not a, construct of a master plan but somebody that wasn't a consequential character that suddenly became um aware which made her super interesting the fact that ford was like you were my favorite sort of i didn't want her to be that much on the right sort of the radar of ford i don't know why yeah but kind of it took something away from it did, her didn't in it? Terms yeah. of, it took some agency away from yeah her, it felt like yeah um so the, i don't think we know what the heck's going on the other thing is what the heck is the door the whole episode's been kind of nicknamed the door. They're talking about going to this uh, place. It clearly isn't a door to downstairs where the, the guys are doing the uh, reprogramming of the hosts. And I don't know if you noticed this, but in the trailer for episode 10, there is a vertical slash of reality uh, at the end of this, like two shots that show it. If you look in the trailer, there's there's a whole lot of them queuing up as if to go through a a pass in the in the in the west you know outside um mm-hmm. and just beyond them not really featured in the shot which looks like a giant tear in the space-time continuum um that has a different kind of yeah well, if you look at the trailer just go up near the end um and it's clear that your attention isn't meant to be on this but there are stupid geeks like me that just sit on almost every frame that went hey what's that thing in the background hey, that doesn't look right, and I see it in two shots. It's it's almost as if they've put it there so that you'll annoyingly later go, oh, my God, I didn't even see that. Um, it's a bit like the gorilla, you know, that uh, that experiment they do with count how many times the ball passes between the basketball players? And, yeah, yeah. And then, in fact, a gorilla walks through the shot, and when your people didn't see the gorilla because they were concentrating so hard on the uh, yeah. people counting the basketballs that this ridiculously obvious thing in shot, uh, a guy in a gorilla suit, isn't actually noticed. Um, so... I, so I think that's a huge, like, what is this door? What is it a door to? It doesn't seem like it would be enough of a payoff to be a door to another one of the parks because we've seen people move between them. It doesn't seem like it's enough of a thing for it to be going down below or revealing the, the 
machinations of what you know is the infrastructure of the park. So it's got to be something else. Well, they, they mentioned a, a thing in the last episode that. Uh, I, I thought it was kind of confusing because it sounded like Ford, but they were talking about the forge, which is separate from the cradle, yes. right? So yes, the, the forge is separate, yeah. And the forge, if I'm not mistaken, is where all the data is stored on all the guests, right? I don't Whereas, really know yet what the forge is fully. Yeah. But yes, yeah. Right. Somehow I had the I had the thought it was it was where they made the you know the hosts and the drones and I could just by definition by the by the name. But it sounds like it has something to do also with um, some either uh, consciousness or some kind of recording aspect of um, the data they're collecting. I have to say the one thing in this last episode, and I hope this was a a misdirection because it actually doesn't make any sense within the context of the plot was the, the daughter of um, uh, the man in black. His daughter asks at one point when they're um, together, like how is it that he was capturing all this data on the hosts and, he indicates that it was in their hats, <laughs> right? So there's like some kind of like a head scanner you don't in the think, hat. You don't think that's a good thing? Well, it doesn't make sense because it, it, it would mean that um, you wouldn't be collecting data on any member who went to, you know, the Indian world or the samurai world. Are they all wearing hats at all times? Like, it just seems like it would be the dumbest way to capture that data because it would require... I mean, a physical connection to like a piece of like a costume that you wouldn't necessarily be wearing all the time or be wearing in all, all the different worlds that they've already shown us exist. I have less of a problem with the different worlds. It's more like, um, you know, keep your hat on would need to be played as the soundtrack every time someone went off to the yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um Well, what's your wackiest theory that you'd like to see come true? Because I've got a pretty good one. Well, this is my this is the most out there one, and I think it's actually not um, going to be possible. I feel like there's too many things already sort of steering me away from this idea. But I kind of secretly would love it if because it would be so. Um, it probably wouldn't be the most poetic uh, conclusion, but it would be the most um, Twilight Zone conclusion. Would be that 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 everyone is a host. There are no real people. Okay, so I don't, I, I, I don't think that's the case. That that would be pretty either, bizarre. But I kind of like that idea. <laughs> My one, which uh, is not original, other people have pointed this out as well, is that Bernard is just way too disorientated at the beach sequence when he's woken up with the glasses and stuff. And so my theory is that it's quite possible that somebody else's consciousness has gone into Bernard's body at that point, um, and it's up for grabs who that is. The, the most likely candidate is Maeve has transferred herself into Bernard's head, and so she's walking around in his body. Um, that is really interesting. I had not thought of that at all. He has these really strong reactions to them killing uh, hosts on the beach. He doesn't say anything for the longest time. He looks really disorientated, really confused. And the misdirection was, you know, he didn't realise what was going on. He was confused because he's had a blackout and also because He's only just discovered not long ago, from our point of view, that he was um, was not human. But in the timeline that's been playing out, he should have none of those surprises. He should be very comfortable with the fact that Ford's been in his head for a while. He is a robot. He's uh, 
He's very comfortable with what's going on around him. So why does he look so dazed on the beach? And also the whole point of this episode is this idea of transferring consciousness. So it'd be really good if somebody is hiding in Bernard's head and it isn't Ford because we already had that. So that's not a, a reveal. Well, do you, do you think that in this last week's episode, do you think that when um, there, like there's the scene where Bernard, uh, you know, he's constantly being, uh, communicated to by sort of the uh, virtual Ford, right? Um, and he's perceiving him in the back seat of the the weird dune buggy and all that stuff. And he um, he actually expresses a huge explosion of emotion at one point and screams like "Get out of my head!" I think something like that. And yep. he um, he starts to he sort of jacks into his own arm with one of the the all glass uh, cool tablets they have, yep. and um, he looks like he's trying to remove. Uh, the malicious uh, Ford code. Do you think he actually got him out of there? Or did nah, Ford just nah. be like, all right, I'll let you know. I, exactly. I'll pretend I'm gone. Yeah, no, that's definitely a, uh, that, misdirection. That's a, a misdirection for suckers. Nobody believed yeah, that yeah. one. Um, yeah, no, I like, <laughs> I, I think that somebody's going to hide in his head because that's what we want to do. I think Teddy probably is dead. Um, yeah. And that, uh, I've Which no that idea. was an interesting thing too, like, because that also brought up something about, you know, this this idea of, you know, is it your, uh, the idea of nature versus nurture, you know, is sort of a common theme going throughout this whole, um, series. And Teddy's kind of the most interesting one in that, you know, or one of the most interesting ones, certainly given his, his suicide in this last, um, episode was that, you know, he's always had this, um, very particular nature, Right, uh, and his nature is he can't bring himself to shoot the um, the Ghost Nation guy in the back that's walking away, and you know he's she's and so Dolores has done everything she can. She says to help him survive, but his whole thing is that uh, I mean it's very poignantly said. You know, it's in it sort of you could kind of almost see it coming. It was it felt pretty telegraphed throughout the episode, but that that um, you know he sort of questioned whether or not um, it was worth it you know, to, uh, be free and live in a world, uh, where, um, you know, the things that he's had, that she had made him do essentially by altering his nature, um, you know, whether or not it was worth it anymore to arrive at this other place. Well, yeah. So and I, of course I, the, I think that's kind of, of an interesting The dynamic. irony of rising up against being manipulated, used and controlled. And then Dolores yeah. is doing the manipulating, using and controlling, you know, what makes her any better than anyone else. Uh, yeah, she's the same in essence. Which is why I need a really good motivation for Dolores in this last ep. I really need to know what the heck's going on there. Um, and I've got to say, in the same way that Sizemore just totally shone this series, like as just a really terrific um, character, I feel there are a number of other characters that are hanging around in the show that we're just waiting for them to become, um, you know, like really interesting characters. Like there are... There are people that haven't died yet that are hanging around that haven't had a good arc, and I feel like they're keeping them back because they're not trying to burn out every character. Um, Who are you thinking of in particular? I'm trying to think of his name. The security guy um, that's one of the, um, you know, it's the security guy that these, um, I can't remember, it's Luke Hemsworth's plays the guy. It's Stubbs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you don't have Luke Hemsworth doing nothing, for this long, unless you want to not have 
Otherwise, if Luke Hemsworth was to play a huge role in, in, in the third series, you'd be like, well, they right. just brought him in to, you know, because we needed a new character. I feel like they've, yeah. they've littered the thing with some really strong characters that can come mm. and play. I feel like the Japanese girl that's come over from um, Shogun World could be another one mm. of those that, you know, like we're setting her up, got to a lot of trouble to get her there, but she hasn't done anything of any consequence. And yeah. so we can have her have a story play out because I feel that's exactly what they did with the um, the narrative structure with the Ghost Nation, which is they painted them with the stereotypical uh, barbarian uh, native, um, you know, scalping kind of uh, ridiculously cliched view of the West mm-hmm. and then turned it on its head. But because we'd had them around for so long, it didn't feel like, well, where did that all come out of? Um well, and then and then the um, the I can't remember the name of the character, but it's Maeve's, uh, you know, sort of second in command at the um, Sweetwater uh, Saloon uh, House of Ill Repute. The one that got lobotomized. Uh, the one that got lobotomized. Who you know, it seems like there's uh, and now she has the same power essentially that the Maeve character has. Um, also unlocked, um, and so that it feels like that's the confrontation that's coming. You know, it's the some sort of a face-off between those two as well. And Elsie's the same. Like she's been such an interesting character, but we haven't done a lot with her yet. Like she's starting to do a bunch, but you know, like you kind of put these characters into the world and then don't burn them all up yet. So we have characters. And Elsie is she? What's Oh, she's the um, the other human yes. that's traveling with Bernard. Okay, yeah. right. Yeah, and then we also have the um, the the guy who uh, had his samurai equivalent, the sort of dark haired. He's still alive, isn't he? The host. Oh, uh, no, no, Armistice is the one that you were talking about before, right? Uh, yeah. Oh, no, Arm- no, Armistice like is the girl with the tattoo uh, that that on is, her face, the yeah. snake tattoo. Yeah. So yeah, and then and then the guy that she hangs with. Like I think, did he die or is he still around? No, they're they're still around. We've we've lost track of them, but they're missing right now. Yeah, but they're going to come back in the because they're in the trailer for the tenth. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So so Armistice um, and uh, Armistice is Japanese double, and you know that whole crowd uh, off to one side, about to back walk walk back onto the stage, as it were. Um, I think. um, So I think that's all sort of well and good and and we've sort of set up where it could be going but i think that the other thing is we know that there are all these other parks and clearly they're kind of introducing a park or two per season so we know there are at least i think four others from the website um in addition to the three we know about already confirmed so i also expect in episode 10 we'll have another park um flash moment just to get us excited Mm. as to where people might go in the next one um but i think I think for me, as I say, it got a bit too confusing this series and there were episodes I didn't feel, I felt like I was just being confused to death and yeah. and I feel like a few more episodes that were, had their own arc in them and then also further the plot of some of the other characters would have been a better way to go. And I felt like the well, weight of expectation made the writers go this way. Yeah, and that's where I kind of feel like in some ways I feel like this season feels like two seasons crammed into one. Yeah. Because I feel like, I mean, I'm, don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm loving all the like revelation and that's going on and all the sort of really interesting twists and turns. It's it's a heck of a lot of fun and it makes for really entertaining, um, you know, watching. But but at the same time too, I feel like it, it is at the expense of 
like exactly what you're saying, like depth of character in some particular instances. I think um, what they did do in the um, Ghost Nation episode, which I think probably is my favorite episode of this season so far, I really like how they, it's like they, it's like it was a whole new series almost. It's like they just changed, uh, they turned us over to a character who we've only sort of seen on the periphery. And we got to follow essentially um, Akichita, I think is how they say his name. The, the I can't remember the name of the actor that plays him, but um, the, the primary Ghost Nation guy. And we hear his narration that's all in his native language, which also is so cool. Um, and we're reading subtitles and... Uh, the thing I thought was so great about that episode in particular too is that it it feels like it was used in just the right way. There is this um, really interesting um, metaphor you could draw between, I mean, I guess it's not even really that uh, cryptic. It's pretty obvious, but the metaphor between the, the Native American experience, at least here in um, North America and sort of the concept of manifest destiny and the westward expansion and sort of the, um, you know, the trail of tears and, and, um, you know, the sort of, um, the genocide. Um, and there's, it seems like there's a direct connection between sort of the poisoning of, um, you know, the understanding of sort of what was the poisoning of this sort of natural world, um, in North American history, but also in, the way in which this story is unfolding with these characters who, as Ford said, like you were saying earlier, kind of were uh, sort of growing on their own out uh, on the outskirts. And I thought that the, the way they wove those things together and they, it felt like they had a deeper meaning because they, they somehow, it felt so connected to um, at least the way in which um, I feel like you learn about history here in, on this continent. Yeah, actually, Two points on that. One is I really love, as you said, the fact they did the subtitles. And uh, mm-hmm. I heard an interview with them, and they, the, um, it was Lisa Joy, and they were saying that they um, they approached the uh, Native American community and said, you know, what do you like, what do you really hate about the way that, um, quote, Indians are depicted on, on screen? And they were like, well, you never mm-hmm. hear our voices. And if you do, it's Apache. But generally there's like 300 Native languages in North America, and you just don't hear them, which is – you know, extraordinary if you think about it. And so yeah. it was great that they didn't go with uh, a sort of obvious Comanche, well-known uh, um, Native American group and that they used the actual uh, language and that they subtitled it and they didn't walk away from that. I thought it was just a really... Yeah, that's really cool. And it gave it a greater authenticity oh, to totally. sure across the board. It's a smart choice. And if he doesn't get an Oscar, uh, an Emmy nomination, uh, there's just no justice in the world because his performance was, you know, to be both savage and nuance to be jumping around in time and in understanding and yet well and so much emotion yeah. expressed too yeah i mean both through through acting and you know his presence on screen but also just in his reading you know of the lines and his speaking oh, yeah. of the lines uh when he's narrating i mean there's so much even without knowing the language there's so much emotive quality in the sound of his voice i thought was great too which brings us to the other thing that we need to get solved uh in 10 which is Maeve's daughter because last seen right. hanging out in the ghost nation not threatened but being protected which was a lovely um uh lovely little aspect about the whole thing that she was being protected by them not not hunted by them mm-hmm. but but we need that to be sorted they've spent so much time setting up Maeve and her daughter and Maeve's um you know it's a it's a cornerstone. That's the expression they use for like the anchor for somebody's yeah. narrative. 
that I can't imagine that not playing out. We, you know. Well, yeah, she'll she'll have to kill her daughter, won't she? I mean, no, no. <laughs> well, because because that's also something. So, like, that's also the connection to the man in black, right? I mean, he killed his own daughter. She's going to have to kill her daughter. Oh, you know? and. I mean, I, that's where I see it going. <laughs> yeah. It feels like that's like sort of a natural, and it's going to be because, you know, there's going to be something that happens with Maeve's daughter in the hands of whatever the, 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 the prostitute uh, who was hacked by um, the Delos people, you know, she's going to be able to like do something to the daughter and there's going to be, I don't know. It just seems like that's, it's going to come to some crazy head like that. It's Angela, isn't it? Um, is that her name? I, 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 I feel like I should know it, but I just, I don't have a, she hasn't spoken any lines since her lobotomy. So it's like, I can't remember her name, but she's been so great in this uh, season too. Okay. So we need to swing to the visual effects this season. Yeah. And we, we had some really interesting stuff, but in a sense there hasn't been, I don't feel an upping, like I think that the quality of the stuff that's been supervised by um, Jay Worth, who's the visual effects supervisor mm-hmm. for the show, has been really high quality. But we haven't had a lot of the de-aging or sort of radical uh, visual Oof. effects. We've had a lot of bloodbaths and uh, yeah. and uh, explosions and, and whatnot. But I thought we I might thinking, get a- I, I was thinking one of the things about the visual effects this season that, at least in the last few episodes, that it's a lot of... Um, what I would call kind of walking dead style visual yeah. effects in terms of like, um, uh, prosthetics, but also like, I'm sure some real, but also some, I'm sure digital, um, squibs of, you know, headshots and body shots and stuff like that. And then the, um, the, like in particular, the Mave, uh, the, um, the neck, uh, tear and the shoulder and arm tear that she had. And after her, uh, her uh, terrible wounding. When, when she's um, on the, um, like, effectively the operating table and she's got a self splayed mm-hmm. open. Yeah. But doesn't that feel like a physical effect to you? Oh, I think those are definitely um, physical effects. Yeah. And I, but I mean, they're amazing. That and, and the, um, the other big one that was new this season, right, was the, uh, the drones, <laughs> right? The weird white drone suit I thought they'd, guys. I thought they'd play much more strongly. I thought they were gonna, somebody was going to have an army of those guys, and I thought that would be fun. I did too, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's too bad they didn't. But I should point out that they won, or rather Jay won the Emmy for best, uh, you know, special effects or visual effects um, for the uh, Bicameral Mind last season. So literally right. it beat out, you know, a ton of other really good TV shows. Um, and I don't think that it slipped in any way, shape or form. I just don't know they've had in the narrative or the story the same opportunity because there was some – I don't think I've seen the same – like there was quite a lot of um, uh, stuff where Dolores was partly built mm-hmm. and you saw through her yeah. arm. Yeah, kind of an ex machina style effect. We haven't had so much of that. We haven't had so much – we haven't had the de-aging stuff at the same um, – we had any de-aging? I don't think – I don't some, right? think so in this season, unless there maybe is one shot, like in one of the first episodes, maybe of Ford, but I can't quite recall. So we haven't had the the scope of sort of complexity that I think we saw in um, in other episodes. But it kind of makes sense, though, that that there'd be. I, it looks like we're going to get some really interesting stuff, at least from the trailer. I was just looking at it while we were talking, but did uh, you see the terrace that I was talking about? Yeah, and the and there's the 
is it a, a bison? Yes. It's like, like running through and they're shooting at this bison and it's all slow motion. It looks like some Which was in the original, original trailer of the whole series. Right, yeah. So it's kind of cool. We'll, we'll finally get to see, I think, those kinds of shots where it will be what you're describing, what we saw in season one. But I also kind of thought like the fact that the the primary digital visual effects do feel like I'm sure there's certainly a lot of environment work, I would imagine, um, that's going on in, um, and extensions in terms of getting the, you know, the, um, the buttes and the, you know, valleys and whatnot, maybe some structures as well. But I think that the, um, the fact that we have less this season kind of makes sense in a way in that, you know, season one was really all about establishing this world and establishing the context by which we would, um, as viewers follow the story and think like, oh, this is uh, a host, this is a human. And um, we could actually see, oh, this is what's going on with the host. They have these weird, you know, armatures underneath their their flesh and, you know, whatever else. And um, we almost don't need to see it because now we sort of know who's who or it's more interesting to not know. No, I think there are two occasions that I felt ripped off for visual effects that I feel mm-hmm. like a show at this level should have given me. One is the train crashing in that they set up. It's going into the oh, tunnel. Yeah. It's, you know, full scene. There's going to be this huge crash and it was just noises off. And I understand yep. that we didn't need to see that, but I felt like in a Game of Thrones you have these Battle of the Bastards, huge mm-hmm. epic sequences, and they do add enormous amounts of operatic drama to, um, and I felt like we I was just sort of didn't have that. Uh, and I, I felt cheated that I didn't see that. I expected that to be a big effect sequence. The second one is the pulling the stuff out of the heads is seeming oh, yeah. a little like they're cutting around it. And also I don't feel like we've adequately got visual effects to back up that I can cut my skull, my skin, peel back my skin, cut open my skull, pull out a whatever it is, a walnut, a chestnut, a billiard ball. <laughs> it's like a compact compact fluorescent light bulb with like a little red ball inside of it yeah then put it back in and then fix my skull and have no visible signs like Mm -hmm. this idea of um i mean that's away from the oh my god how is the man in black still walking when he's been shot so many times and uh you know lacking well the only time we ever did see that i do think there was in i don't know if it's this season or season one but there was um a a demonstration like sort of as a it's a very short beat but where they're it's almost like a star trek kind of thing where they're, yes. they're like healing the skin on one of the hosts with like a handheld yeah but it just like, feels it to like me it's like a laser or something exactly it's like but don't you feel like it just feels it. like we need to not have that shown so we're just going to pretend like that's a thing right like it's like yeah you can just miraculously heal up uh, wounds with this uh with this thing, which we needed to have so that we could, you know, repair all well, yeah, of the hosts. I think they could have, they could have uh, fixed that point, but if by, if they had either had the budget for, or the, um, you know, time to do maybe one more shot like that, right. If we'd seen it one more time this season as something that's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Like that's what's going on. Like maybe it would, it would allow you as the viewer to sort of fill in those gaps and they didn't do that. Cause there's some really nice making of, uh, hosts in the title sequence where the sort of the mm-hmm. strands of the muscle are being oh yeah yeah uh, and a lot of that's new this season that's a whole yeah. new sequence so i thought oh great we're going to get a bit more kind of you know i don't know it's, is it eye candy I, I mean it may not further the plot much but it does add to like a richer 
visual world. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I feel like they're copping out on showing us some of that stuff at the moment. Well, it'd be interesting to, to uh, you know, from a producer's perspective, it'd be interesting to hear, like, or, or even from the visual effects supervisor's perspective, like, why this season is that the the choices that are being made like is it you know time constraint budgetary constraint like you know who, or or just a, a editorial choice you know to say like oh well we don't need to do that i think it's that that i think that they're saying you know that's not important that's not the mm. the subtlety of the show to you know have us show a train blowing up and i understand yeah. that but i don't think what i'm after is cheap uh, action stuff that would belittle the show. I think it would just make it seem like it had bigger production values and give kind of more weight to these attacks. It's a bit of a cheat to just go, I'm going to spend a lot of time with this train going into the tunnel to attack. And then guess right. what? It just blew up somehow. And we came in somehow and we're not even going to see the wreckage. We're not even going to see it happen. We're not going to see a fireball. We're just going to assume that all happened. That's very theatrically staged like you would for a stage show where right. it's noises off. Um, yeah. By the way, you said talk to the producers. <laughs> Which producers? Do you know how many producers are listed on this series on IMDb? Have a guess. <laughs> I, I, uh, I don't know, 15? Mm, not quite. On IMDb <laughs> for series one and two, and admittedly some of these clearly have only been on one of the series, there are 34 producers listed. <laughs> Well, but producers in television, right? It's a it has a different meaning than it does uh, in features, right? Like uh, a producer credit in television, to my awareness, at least of this, is uh, um, they're a little bit more liberal with the use of the term producer than they might be in uh, the world of feature film. If yeah, I'm not mistaken, but there's a lot more people getting producer credits than writing credits. Now, some of them I understand, right, like J.J. Abrams and obviously Lisa Joy and, and Nolan, that's all obviously mm-hmm. totally fine. But sure. there is co-producers, co-executive producers, executive producer producers, I'm not making that up, co-executive producer, pro- executive producer, associate producer, <laughs> uh, supervising producer, co-executive supervisor, line producer, uh, associate consulting producer. I mean, it's just like ridiculous. Um, <laughs> yeah. But also I thought that something else that was really interesting when I was, caught my eye when I was doing that. I was like, oh, so there must be, and I looked up at the directors. And, in fact, on the director's score, um, Lisa Joy's only directed one episode, which was this season, um, which I thought was surprising. Uh, Nolan's directed two, uh, but um, that wasn't this season. Mm-hmm. Um, so Richard Lewis and, and a couple of the other directors have done uh, three or two. But there's no sort of, I mean, obviously you have to overlap this in television. But it was kind of interesting to me, uh, similarly with the the writers, there's like a fairly core group of writers and quite a few other people that have contributed on just an episode. Um, Yeah. um, But, yeah, the producers are just off the dial. Um, One thing I love about this show, and, and I don't think there's any reason not to just applaud it point blank, is this is a show with so many strong female leads. I mean, it is oh, ridiculous. Totally. There is, that it's not like a token woman. There's not even like a token type of woman. There's the tough corporate woman. There's the brainy scientific, uh, you know, uh, woman. There's the kick ass woman. There's the sexual vampy woman. There's the, you know, different cultures. Woman. <laughs> so like, there's almost like nowhere you can look in this show that doesn't have a terrific representation of women. 
Well, and there are primary characters uh, whose primary stories are those that we follow who are female, who are female, you know? Yeah. I mean, and I think that's, that's a big deal too. It's not like, you know, they're all in service to the larger story that is the man in black story or something, you know, it's like they all have their own narrative arcs and their own um, story structure that's equally uh, significant and, um, and well, you know, written, well thought out, well planned out, and they all have their own, you know, <laughs> I feel like I've said this a couple of times already, but they have their own agency, right, yeah. within that. And, yeah. and their own unique stories that they're not, they're just writing one type of person, not one kind of type of character. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. They're existing totally. in, in every one of the dimensions of the narrative. And at no point does it feel forced. At no point does it feel like that is sort of surprising. And yet occasionally I go, hang on, I've got this female character after this female character who's playing off this female character. And it's like, actually, this is remarkably uh, effortlessly done as I guess it should be. But, um, you know. So I have a question for you that you might know the answer to. Do you know, is, I I felt like in this last week's episode, uh, and I, I forgive me, I'm sort of jumping into a different territory here, but is Logan the brother of, uh, William's wife, who we see in the early scenes, is he still alive? No, there's a point where he was talking to the men, uh, to, um, to, uh, the to, re Dolores or something, right? No, no, right? no, it's the, it's the, um, uh, the guy that they're trying to bring back from dead. Uh, um, the, Oh, the, to James Delos? James Delos. And he's saying that everybody's, he's saying, Logan's dead, your sister's dead, uh, or your uh, kids are dead, everyone's dead, okay. it's only me. Um, and I think the impression was that... Uh, I he mean, died that, in the desert or something? Well, that he was beyond saving from coming back from the desert. Yeah, that's the sort of impression that I got. Mm, okay. But definitely I got Sorry. the impression that in a non-suspicious way, James Delos was told that, that uh, he was out of it and, and dead. So uh, were there any other big, um, like visual effects or, or visual effects, um, moments that you recall from this season? Um, I was going to say there aren't been a lot of holograms either. There was the hologram on the beach. Um, and at this point I'd also like to acknowledge how incredibly hip the trailers and everything else have been to the Uh, community. No dialogue. Well, no, but not only that, but I was going to say, so, you know, that in the original uh, trailer that we first saw the hologram on the beach mm-hmm. that one of the packing crates if you looked at the packing crate it had a code on it which if you took it into numerics was the um the actual uh, address for a website that un that released a bunch of information about the show and that the no light <laughs> no it's true and then the lights flashing in the first ever trailer was effectively morsing in hex another website <laughs> And so yeah, that is so cool. And so they <laughs> shot with the. If you look at back at the early promo for the show, the shot of the beach mm-hmm. is only on yeah. screen for seconds. But there's this bit of an obvious upfront box that has something on it that was like, wait a second, that seemed a little bit too obvious. And yes, sure enough, it decoded to another website. Um, hmm. And that they've continued to decode the website, and the website gives you more and more information that's in sync with what's going on on the TV show. So as you go back and communicate with uh the consciousness that is being uh shown it's you get more and more stuff each week from the website if you go to the trouble of kind of decoding it so there's a huge secondary industry in providing this narrative 
Have you read about the thing that uh, if you have one of these Amazon, you know, the cylinder, the Alexa or whatever it's called, that um, if you can, if you say um, some key phrase to it, um, there's a maze that you can navigate that is part of Westworld, but you navigate it verbally through the interaction with the yep. the cylinder. So I haven't done that, but I mean, it's so interesting sounding that they've even the viral marketing and stuff and the sort of, you know, fun sort of extra things that they add, like what you're describing. It's like, yeah. it's cool. They've done that as well. So if you want an example of this, you know, the sequence when they drop down in the hole and they come up through the grave and all that kind of stuff between the, mm -hmm. uh, the park. So there are manuals that show all this. They're, they're blood stained and they're <laughs> talking all this kind of stuff, but there are manuals explaining all this that you can find if you go digging through the website. Now it doesn't necessarily tell you anything new that you don't get out of the show it just provides kind of background uh world informing stuff but having said that i mean hats off right like that is really yeah, totally somebody just thinking i mean obviously if nobody got it i guess they just leaked the url and put it on reddit or something and then everyone would go crazy but the fact that they allow people to decode these things in uh is spectacularly uh great fun i don't know how we got that's there. kind of the that's kind of the bad robot marketing yes. department sort of thing you know they've been doing that for for a long time and i i think those are things that are you know i doubt they spend a huge amount of um money on those things but uh you know to be able to throw that stuff together and have it uh, be something that's out there for fans who are just crazy about it and get really into it, it it's just fun why not? Yeah. By the way, there are characters in this show that like Sylvester, the, you know, guy who's the um, tech and stuff that, mm -hmm. uh, that I hope we see in the final ep because like we've kind of lost track of them. But those guys, those tech guys were just so painfully funny to watch. They were just so like just tortured by my, I, I just oh, I, I know. I love yeah, those guys. Two, those guys are great. Yeah. It's just hysterical. I love those. Guys. I don't think we saw the uh, the little boy. We saw him one more time this season, right? The, oh, right. And the, that was another sequence it, in the first suit. His face doing the um, mechanical deconstruction, reconstruction. Remember that in the right? Yeah, that's another and example. That was, that's a that was a big one, and that one was cool. Yeah, I feel like we just haven't had enough of that kind of stuff in the visual effects area. I think the quality of the compositing um, in the train, in particular, has been really good, and I feel mm -hmm. like the. Um, there's no point at which I felt like uh, it was studio-ish. Occasionally, mm -hmm. down in the um, you know in the bowels of the uh, corporation, I feel like we're a little sort of in rooms with lots of glass walls, and they don't make any sense. Yeah. And I think maybe part of me would like it to be a little bit more obvious where we are. There just seems to be an infinite number of rooms that can have blood splattered on glass that. Uh, you know, they did in, in uh, Star Trek, they just had a couple of corridors and they could reconfigure them. People were always walking around the end of the corridor because it's the right. same corridor, right? <laughs> yeah. I feel like it's the same. Yeah, well, it's like a big nothing space with yeah. glass walls. Yeah, so it's like, but it, I mean, it, it it's effective. Like it works within the within what they do show. And they did build the one sort of primary map room where they have this sort of blood red walls and stuff, which I think is pretty effective too. I was going to say too, the other thing that they have done a, couple times that I, I still really like, and it's a subtle um, effect, but it's it's really powerful when it's done well. And the best one was in the um, the Ghost Nation episode, and it's where uh, Akichita, I think, right, stumbles upon Ford 
and he's tinkering around with some of the guys from the Ghost Nation who are frozen fighting a grizzly bear, it looks like. It's like right? he's doing a, he's up a, on a his diorama, but in, in... Yeah, totally. Like something you'd see at like the Natural History Museum or yeah, something. Yeah, but it's a wonder one. I can imagine that's some kind of AR, VR thing that you could, you know, as a promotional exercise, you could move around it and see it. Because it makes no sense, right? There are a bunch of bears being de- uh, scalped and there's a bear and I, I just, I looked at that a well, lot. He's walked, he's, Ford's walked around and he scalped each one of the, uh, the ghost nation guys, I think if I'm not mistaken. And that's what he's doing is he's sort oh, yeah, of no, like totally. pulling. But I'm saying like the, yeah. the diorama feels like somebody in the story narrative of the show is in <laughs> right. the marketing department and that marketing department every once in a while sets up dioramas for some kind of promotional reason. And, and yeah. uh, Ford's just come along and gone, hmm, I'm just going to walk onto this set that you're not shooting on tonight. And uh, Those are so cool. And there's something about that, that kind of uh, freeze frame, sort of three-dimensional freeze frame sort of effect that is so, um, it is so otherworldly and unnatural. And the lighting. Uh, especially when it's outside. You yeah. Know? Yeah. It's such a floodlit kind of, you know, thing that doesn't, that the lighting just says this is a fake setup for, it's not part of, like, it just tells you in an instant that this isn't going to come to life. Yeah. And that's another thing I think of that is so smart about the construction of the show too, is that, you know, in that particular scene, when you mentioned this sort of, he's got those work lights around and they're extremely bright. And, um, the whole thing of the, we've been following the, the ghost nation guy for that whole episode. And we've really started to kind of you know, empathize with him. Like we're following his story. And when he comes across Ford and sees, you know, his, uh, you know, fellow, uh, ghost nation guys and the bear, and then these work lights and stuff, you know, we experience it from his vantage point and it does feel more unsettling, more otherworldly because, they, they held that back until kind of the the very last portion of that episode, which I think makes it more, um, just more arresting and more, um, I don't know, uh, yeah, just feel more unnatural and unsettling. I don't know this for a fact, but I imagine one of the difficult visual effects things at a, almost a comp level is when they go into deep storage and you have all the naked actors Mm -hmm. i imagine a lot of those are real people because it would just be cheaper to hire people that stripped off than than not but you would have to go through that really meticulously and not have anyone look like they're breathing not have anyone look like they're and you can't just freeze the frame because the camera's moving um and i i feel like those are really well done they're very disconcerting and in this particular episode you're referring to very emotionally impactful uh Mm because they're so stripped bare and they're so bleakly lit um, it's so purgatory and yet it, you know, it isn't, uh, it's kind of silent. It's not like it's done with ominous music necessarily. There's, yeah, yeah. but I can't yeah, I imagine it's an easy, it'd be interesting to, to hear like if that's something as well, that's having to be done in terms of yeah, keeping people from breathing in those shots. That's really interesting. Yeah. So not- did, did we get all the way through your theory for this season? I think so because we're at. I had several theories that got rejected about two weeks ago and a week ago. Because um, I will say, the first season, I, I, I have to confess, like you kind of blew me away. Like I think you totally nailed it. You knew exactly what was going on and you knew why. So, yes. Wow. Well, there there are some theories that there are some <laughs> theories that uh, you know are kind of 
more obvious than others. And also by the stage you get to we are now where we've only got one episode left, a bunch of stuff's been revealed. Yeah. Um, we kind of knew, I think we knew that Ford was not gone, but that was a well-kept secret, I think. And uh, But, the um, yeah, the, there, are, there were tricky things, and one of them, the theories that I threw away, that um, was that Ford uh, had manipulated Arnold's, you know, mm-hmm. in the, such a way that he would see people that weren't people. Now, this is probably influenced by uh, um, a Black Mirror episode uh, where they had the soldiers killing what they thought were aliens and they're actually illegal uh, yeah, yeah. immigrants. But I thought that perhaps what was happening is that whereas we, the audience, were happily thinking that we knew what was going on and that um, Bernard was, you know, talking to, I don't know, Elsie or whoever, he wasn't actually talking to that person because he was seeing a different person to the person he thought he was actually talking to. And I thought that was going to be the big kind of head spin that we discovered that he'd been walking around um, because in the first series, remember, Dolores thought she was talking to people, but there was no one in the room. Uh, like right. on the train, for example, she'd been on the train before and we had an instance of her seeing her on the train with um, the men in black, obviously as a young man, and then later she was on the train and realised that there was no one there, but she sort of imagined that there was. And I thought the same thing was done this time, and instead of there being no one there, there's a different person there, and the different person is uh, just saying something, but Bernard is hearing you know, you speak to me, but I don't hear you. I hear, uh, you know, Jason effectively. And I see Jason, but it's you that's talking to me. <laughs> right. Yeah, that would have been good. That and been uh, I was quite, quite worried that Elsie was a, a fabrication and that uh, she was, so when Elsie gets released, they find that lab and they're going, like walking back along the train tracks. I thought that Elsie wasn't Elsie. I thought it was the corporate woman that's uh, come in that's oh, yeah. escaped death a couple of times and that he was just being manipulated into helping her, not realising who he was helping. But I've, I've since discounted this theory. I had some really good theories if we'd done this show <laughs> two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, we should have done it a couple of weeks ago, but I think it'll still be a, a, interesting to see where we come out at the end of this one. Um, but, yeah, I think I think definitely if you had the ability to go back in time, you would redo this series, making it a little less confusing because it seems like in an effort to keep people like me at, uh, and you at bay from picking what's going on, you've got a whole lot of people that watch an episode and go, uh, I just can't get into this because I don't know what the hell's going on. And and in an age where people second screen a lot, it is quite the case that if you look away for a bit or get a cup of coffee or... Yeah, you, you can know, miss a lot. And sure. Yeah, and it just doesn't make any sense. And, and there's stuff in it that doesn't make any sense even if you are paying attention. Like I didn't find a fulfilling narrative of what was going on when um may was talking to uh, dolores in the um the carport car park area where she's may's been brought in and she's uh, lying in a flat on a stretcher and that seemed very cryptic and it wasn't particularly clear to me what was going on and if i'd seen that scene i had no idea of context i'd like what who's where what yeah, and that was the big part of the whole build-up throughout the season, right, was the pursuit of uh, Peter Abernathy, right, mm. the Dolores' father. And then we finally got sort of to his conclusion a few episodes ago, but it was just that he he had the, uh, what was it, the, uh, the, was it the key to the, yeah, to the, cradle or something right? and and it's and i think it's going to play out in episode 10 but it's now the the billiard ball out of his skull the 
that is the thing that's theoretically she's got in her back pocket. And uh, her ability to kill her own father and then just manipulate everybody just at the moment feels I just don't have a motivation for why she's doing that. And I can't imagine that we're going to lose Dolores. I think she's going to keep in for the rest of the show like she's kind of the star, or at least one of yeah. the stars. So, um, Well, I, I do feel like that's got to be a thing, though. So like, that's, it's interesting you just said that. So she killed her father. Teddy killed himself. Uh, William killed his daughter and essentially killed his wife too, uh, so to speak, right? I guess she killed herself. Um, and then Maeve uh, didn't kill her daughter. No, no, no. no. I, she I'm, did kill her daughter though. She no. killed the, 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 didn't she? She Not, not no. her, not her African-American daughter, but there was like another version of her that she encounters. No, but the right? other version of her got killed when she was oh, trying she to rescue kills, her daughter. She kills her, the, other, the other mother she kills to take the daughter. Well, the, there's a whole skirmish that happens, and then that's when the, um, uh, the ghost nation arrive, and she thinks that they're after them, and she freaks out. Right. Okay. And there's a couple of weird things going on there. Like she should have been able to control ghost nation people because earlier she didn't know, she couldn't control ghost nation because she didn't know she had to speak in their native tongue. She gets to the Japanese world and Sizemore says, I oh, know if you've got to speak in the native tongue to control them. She does and therefore can control the, the Japanese guy. So why doesn't she control the ghost nation when she sees them at the homestead? And the only thing is she's kind of overwhelmed by the, the shocking memories the of stuff that happened. Um, yeah. But I loved that the ghost nation had been trying to protect the daughter. Uh, yeah, it was, so, it was an interesting turn that like you didn't quite know what that was. I had always sort of thought that the ghost nation people were like, you know, before we saw what they were about this season, I had always assumed that they were on the very outer edges of the park and that they were basically like programmed to be essentially like kind of crazy, right? And that they would keep people from getting too close to the edge. And also I thought that they were a cult that you had a, because what I thought would be nice is if the Ghost Nation had a bunch of actual real people that had gone you know, loco <laughs> joined the cult of ghost nation. They've gone native. Or yeah, something. exactly. And they were following and that you would have these guys that actually were like, no, no, I'm an actual person, but I believe in the ghost. Nation, but it's a, it's not real. It's like, I know that, but it is, you know, it is real. And be like, no, it's not. <laughs> you've, you've well, gone. That could have been interesting too. And it does seem like that's kind of, uh, where we've arrived, uh, at least with the, the man in black, like is he, he has arrived. It seems at that place where, you know, what is more, the, it's this other world that's more real to him. And it does seem like Dolores plays a key part in his, uh, I don't know if it's that he's obsessed with her or just totally, but, you know. But there is one big problem I've got at the moment, which is still been throughout the whole series. It's the, it's my uh, physics of superheroes. It's being able to shoot in, in, <laughs> in space thing. And it's like uh-huh. the weapons. Now, here's my problem, right? I understand in the original thing that you've got um, the host and you've got you and I. You and I are real people. We walk around and I want to shoot a host in a gunfight and no matter how useless I am, I manage to kill the guy who's doing the quick draw with me because he's a host, right? Got that. Mm -hmm. Now I turn my gun at you and it has to not kill you because otherwise I'd accidentally kill you because I'm an idiot tourist, right? And also what if I thought you were a host and I tried – you know, threatening you in a gunfight and you thought I was a host and threatening me in a gunfight, we would kill each other, then that just doesn't work, right? So that's a very fundamental 
okay, so the guns must be programmed that they know to only fire at hosts. Well, yeah, and the bullets are like some kind of nanite bullets, right, that are programmed to behave a certain way based on a certain kind of... Okay, but now, if that's (laughs) the case, then the men in black has a gun that shouldn't be able to kill people, and suddenly it can kill people because it shouldn't be able to kill people because the whole point of the guns is that they shouldn't be able to kill other real people. So how does he kill his daughter? And it gets worse, right? The but they do talk about that at one point, though. They do talk about, like, uh, I mean, it's it doesn't make sense if you're thinking of them in terms of real bullets, but they do talk about how, you know, oh, in the park, like, all the safety protocols or something were turned off. Okay, but, but go back to the swords in Samurai World, right? How do you not, like, cut yourself by just holding one of those bloody swords, right? I mean, forget, like, me killing you in a samurai fight where I think you're a actual host, like I just try putting it in my... Well, but again, though, I, I would say you could explain that by saying, which they do say, which is that the Shogun world was generated and created for those who thought Westworld was too tame. Yeah, yeah, but still, right? So like, maybe it's more dangerous. I, I go to put it in its whatever its, um, you know, thing. What I don't, what's the name of the Japanese thing that holds the actual sword? There's a name for it, right? The scarab, the thing that it slides into. Yeah, it's okay. not a scabbard. Yeah, but, but I mean, it's, um, there's a proper yeah. name for it. Okay, but but I go to do that. I would cut my finger off in real life because I'm, you know, not Japanese and I'm completely <laughs> uncoordinated. And so I can't imagine that there isn't, I mean, it just seems implausible that you are not <laughs> going to hurt people by accident. And if you and can't hurt... just as you sign a waiver, if you're going yeah. to the Shogun world. And then, and then if you're you... are not responsible for lost fingers. And then this idea that the safety protocols are off, like that suddenly makes the sword sharp when it was dull before. And even if I yeah. hit you with a dull sword, I could break your neck with a completely dull sword because it would just That's be true. a piece of metal. And yeah. so I... Like force trauma. Yeah. So I'm like, huh? And then how do I not die falling off a horse, which is a robotic horse, right? I mean, does the horse automatically like a Segway go underneath me to stop me falling? Like it's just... <laughs> yeah. I, I, don't, I just don't understand. I, yeah, well, you know, come on. But it's mainly... Suspension of disbelief, Mike, come on. So the guys come in with automatic weapons. I get that they have real bullets, yep. but I don't... When the man in black takes his gun out puts it at his own head, surely that gun is not going to allow you to blow your own brains out because some idiot drunk tourist would come in at some point and go, hey, look, you know, and shoot it at his own head and actually kill yeah, himself. Yeah. So... And, if, <laughs> and then if it is safety protocols, then we acknowledge that everyone in the park is on Wi-Fi. Then why do we think it's so odd that May could talk to anyone? It's like that seems like some big revelation that she can talk to other. But, I mean, I can talk to you and we don't have to have you and I hardwired. We can go over this thing called, you know, radio waves or Wi-Fi or whatever. But they seem right. like stunned. Like not only can Maeve talk to somebody that's in the room, but she can communicate with somebody on the other side of the park. I can communicate with somebody on the other side of the planet and I'm not in this kind of level of tech. Like, is that really such a surprising thing? I mean, I would be more stunned yeah, if Mae couldn't right. talk to shouldn't anyone in the right. park. Yeah, another plot hole, yeah. Like, I should imagine she could talk to anyone. If she's on the <laughs> on the network. She's got, she could make a call. and She's got, you know, <laughs> G7 Wi-Fi, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, these are mysteries I don't expect to get solved. Probably not in episode 10. I don't think we'll see, or is it 10? Yeah, 10. So I ask you this. If in episode 10 we get another world revealed, which, you know, we all yeah. went mental when we saw it with Shogun World, which world would you like to see revealed in uh, Westworld if it came up in next week's episode? Wow, that's tough. I don't know what the possible worlds would be. 
gosh, uh, what would be good? Yeah, I mean, it can't be like a, a Jurassic Park world. That would be ridiculous. What would be another good era in history? I mean, I guess you could have like a, you could have like a World War One world or something like that. I don't know. It's hard. It's, I mean, it's like there's so many possibilities. I mean, I, I want medieval Roman world. Well, what I really want, as you know, is oh, I want. Yeah, that was in the original. There yeah. is a medieval um, uh, or, or or and a Roman, right? I think in the original. Yeah, it's it's a medieval Roman world. I what I want is, of course, that to be the TV series Rome, and what I want, you know, is. <laughs> Is oh, the that, master theory. Yeah, that they go to the fantasy place and that's got, uh, you know, it's the Game of Thrones world and that all the HBO shows all connect. But I don't think that's going to happen, but I still think that is the best that thing that could so possibly happen. Awesome. Though. Yeah. That would be so great. Oh, God, I would just <laughs> love that to death. Um, it's like I just saw, I heard a thing on, um, there's a radio show uh, from WNYC called Studio 360 with uh, this guy, Kurt Anderson, who used to run uh, Spy Magazine, I think, a long time ago in the 80s or 90s. And he did a show where he uh, talked about uh, TV writers' rooms. And he was talking about there was a show, um, I never watched it, but it was called Saint Elsewhere. Yep. And it was about this hospital. And I guess the, I mean, it's, long gone. So I, I'm not even going to say it uh, in terms of, well, okay, I just said it, spoiler alert, but um, it turns out at the end of this long running series, they decided um, what they would do is they would have the return of this character, a young boy who'd been on the show uh, a number of times who um, I guess had um, Down syndrome. And uh, they had him playing with a, uh, uh, a snow globe and it turns out that the entire series that you've been watching was like this um, in the imagination of this young boy and that the hospital was in this snow globe. And they talked about that as being one of the most like poignant and like, you know, uh, like craze inducing uh, endings to a series ever. And I always thought, well, that, you know, it's bold, you know, so you never know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There's the uh, famous, uh, you know, shows that decided to have the last two years has just been somebody in a delusional episode. I mean, they're just such cop outs. I think they're just horrendous. <laughs> um, yes. By the way, if you're looking for the website that I've been talking about, I looked it up. It's discoverwestworld.com. So discoverwestworld.com um, is the Delor- um, Delos uh, destination website. It's the site that you go to to be somebody that would be finding out about the parks so that you could take a holiday there. It's, you know, the, uh, the fake site that is meant to be the site that, uh, the corporation put up. And if you poke around in there and you're clever, you get to unlock a lot of really cool stuff. Um, but you have to be using in jokes and stuff. The, um, the site looks like it's, uh, not working. Like it's got all this stuff about, um, you know, it's being temporarily shut down and, and blah, blah, blah. But yeah, there's, there's uh, a lot of things going weird and wonderful in that uh, in that site, and you, you do seem to click anything that vaguely looks like it could be clickable to get to interesting places. Um, and you know, there are programming glitches and just weird little things that if you stop and frame them and film them and back them up, you'll learn stuff. But it is a huge waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, yeah. So uh, okay, so. I think we don't think the visual effects are bad this series in any way. Not at all. 
I think that Shaworth's doing a terrific job with consistency. I just don't think the script is giving him the capacity to do stuff, and I feel like I'm being shortchanged a bit for that reason. Um, he yeah. can only do what the script uh, allows. Um, though this rip thing, I've got a feeling that's going to be an actual serious visual effect in the in uh, in episode ten. Could be wrong, but I reckon it'll be a. Well, it just I seen it. It made me think of um, which I think I read an article about this, but it made me think of the the Truman Show. Yes. Yes. Which feels like it's a touchstone in some weird way, which also features uh, Ed Harris, strangely enough. It does, yes. Doesn't Ed look really, really, really sort of, I don't know, weathered? Yeah, there was a shot in this last episode where um, he uh, is uh, in the park, I think, and he turns his head and he's he looks very gaunt uh, as well as uh, quite weathered, yeah. It's funny, you know. I was I, I, I uh, was watching just for kicks. I I saw that um, the movie Coma, which is a Michael yes. Crichton directed movie based on a book by a different author, actually, um, was showing on TCM Turner Classic Movies uh, Network, and um, and I watched it. I hadn't seen it in forever, and uh, it's pretty good. And there's so many like Westworld like things in the way that like these people who are you know. Uh, go in for routine surgical procedures, wind up being put into comas so they can use them for, you know, organs and stuff like that. It's really kind of creepy and makes you sort of freaked out about going to the doctor. But um, there's a a facility where all the people in comas are housed and they're sort of hanging from these uh, strings, like lying down sort of nude, you know, looking like these almost like marionettes. And it it looks so much like the... um, the warehouses filled with the uh, sort of retired or currently decommissioned hosts. So this this whole uh, kind of weird Michael Crichton theme uh, aesthetic that's run through all this, which of course Westworld being a Michael Crichton story originally too. So while we're talking about the uh, the making of guys as opposed to the actors and the plot, um, I do mm. want to do a shout out as we did I think last time to the audio or rather the music of this show. Because oh once again, God, yeah. there are some really beautiful musical uh, beats. Nirvana's Heart Shaped Box was... Um, so good. And then there's a terrific uh, Painted Black when they're in uh, mm-hmm. Shogun World, which I just was such a you know wonderful thing. There's just a, a lot of these really beautifully redone uh, songs, White Stripes. Just I, I, that's, that's the one tough visual effect, actually. You just reminded me there's one visual effect that didn't really work for me, and they showed it twice, and it was Mount Fuji in the distance in Shogun World. It looked like what it was. It doesn't have the same authenticity and believability that the, uh, the buttes have in the Westworld um, Vista shots and it feels like what it is, which is like a, a map painting and it never quite works. <laughs> yeah. I try to work out it's episode seven or eight was directed by, um, a, uh, the director was a DOP. And so you've got these mm-hmm. gorgeous, uh, real Vista, I presume drone shots. And when you've got yeah. that quality, it's so hard, isn't it? To make the map paintings kind of work because the, the, the world is a character and then you've got to put one in and right. for like two shots kind of quickly. Not quickly, but they're not, you know, that's not a pivotal plot point that would justify a 
major mega 3D build of an entire. But it'd be worth like hiring somebody in Japan to go out and shoot some yep. some backgrounds, you know, and get like some great Vista footage of like as best you can of some of those elements, you know. But yeah. Yeah. But I think I think the music uh, is really well done. Again, it's obviously not quite the same totally as it was agree. season one with the uh, the piano everything, but it's still that great uh, reuse of familiar tunes at a recontextualized and uh, rearranged that uh, it is great. Well, I think we need to stop there and uh, get this out. Hopefully we can get this out before <laughs> before you guys have all seen, or maybe it's a good idea to have seen 10 and then, and then hear this and, and yell at us when we got things wrong and missed major points. But we fully confess that there's probably something staring at us that uh, next week I'll say, Matt, how could we have missed it? How could yeah. it? It was right there in front of us the whole time. Um, this has all been, as you say, a dream sequence or in a slow plane. We, we should have just picked it. Well, it'd be really fun if, if uh, you know, if people, uh, you know, have been watching Westworld and they, they ha- have their own theories about it, if, you know, just to get a little, uh, you know, back and forth going either on Twitter or on the FX Guide site, it'd be a lot of fun to see and hear what people think or, if, or uh, where they think it might go. I'd love to hear people's wacky theories like mine that prove to be not right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, totally. The, I was completely convinced that that character was, uh, was you know, whatever, and um, <laughs> that would be good. And also I think it'll be really interesting to see for real which characters then have a whole new, like Sizemore, a whole new kind of character arc that we've sort of written them off as not being that interesting, like Sylvester or somebody, and they turn out to have mm-hmm. a phenomenally interesting uh, range of acting. Um, and full frontal nudity, as uh, we saw this season with uh, the guys. So, um, Matt, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, where can people oh God, touch base with you, as as is our... Well, as everyone knows, you can find me at mattwallen.com for all things me and um, at uh, Virginia Commonwealth University in the School of the Arts. And I should point out, Matt does the editing for the show. So, Matt, thank you so much for every week doing all of that uh, hard work. We really appreciate it. I, totally. As I said, I'm in Los Angeles recording this, sitting in my uh, hotel room as the sun sets out on uh, Santa Monica Beach. And so if my audio quality isn't quite up to scratch, we apologize to be back to normal next time. Uh, what are we doing next, uh, do you think? I don't know. It seems like we'll probably have to do Jurassic, what is it, Jurassic Planet or something? <laughs> Jurassic Planet. <laughs> the new the new Jurassic Park one, I'm guessing, is probably the next big, big one that I think is coming out. Um, All right. Oh, and J- you know, Jason mentioned something that I haven't had a chance to look at yet, but I'm it, about the movie Tag and about the arm replacements they had to do for Jeremy Renner, who broke both of his arms at the beginning of shooting. Really? And I haven't. I, yeah. So the whole film is uh, Jeremy Renner with digital arm replacements. They painted his two casts uh, green, I believe, and then did arm replacements. And while I haven't seen the movie, I'm so curious because that's such an interesting production problem. And I'd really love to see how that came out. Maybe even if we just did it as an aside, maybe on a larger show, we could talk about that. Well, now I want to find out who did that and talk to them. Um, Because I've seen that film. I I had... um, uh, for odd reasons, I couldn't check into my hotel and I had nothing else to do when it was a hot day and I was tired because I'd flown in from <laughs> Australia. And so after a 14-hour flight, I wanted to sit down quietly somewhere that was cool and uh, and not too stressful. And I thought, ah, oh, look, I'll go and see a movie. And at 10 o'clock on, in the morning, um, I went, oh, I'll see Tag because that wasn't something that I, you know, if I ended up falling asleep because of jet lag, I wasn't going to, you know, yeah. 
hate myself. Yeah. And uh, and it it's good. It's not again because it's a true story. No impact in her. Yeah. yeah, it's because it's a true story. They didn't want to make anyone out to be too miserable. And it's a true story. So kind of the whole event is a true story. But inside the fact that they are have been playing this game tag for twenty three years. There isn't yeah. actually much more than the fact that they tag each other. It's not like one of them, you know, uh, like there's not some meek plot twist that they play tag to rob a bank. Do you know what I mean? Because right, right. <laughs> it's a true story and that's not how it plays. So it was good, but uh, it wasn't uh, It wasn't the film that I would... you didn't notice Jeremy Renner's arms were unusually... Um... I did not. I did not notice yeah. that. Though I will say he is, um, and this is nothing that's in the trailer, he is the guy they're kind of chasing. So right. most of the screen time isn't on him. Most of the screen time is, and maybe it's because he broke his arms, uh, that you get this kind of sense of the guys all talking amongst themselves, like how can we get his character rather than <laughs> him, his point of view on the story, which is how am I going to avoid the guys? So when yeah. he does appear, uh, no, it's very good, but uh, he's not, you know, like on screen the whole story. Like, you know, like there are some movies that like that character He's in, the, in almost every shot, and that's not right, the case right. with his character. Yeah. Anyway, it'd be interesting to see yeah, uh, just how they did that and, and what what was the extent of it. I'm looking up on the website now, and I can't see who uh, – there's Crafty Apes listed in Atlanta. I don't know if that was um, the company that did it or not. I'm just, I'll have to find out. If you know, please uh, text us or send a thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, great. Okay, well, uh, obviously I'm Mike Seymour on uh, Twitter. And over at FX Guide, and uh, thanks so much for being with us. If you want to hear or see some more uh, particular shows, uh, either TV shows or films, let us know. We always try and uh, pick up on and do them, and we certainly got a few people that were like hanging out. Actually, you know what? I think um, uh, Ant Man and the Wasp is also coming up, and we're probably going to have to do that oh, one as yeah, well. Yeah. I just remembered. I started to think, what was that other film that's just totally. about to drop? Okay. Um, until next time, I'm Mike Seymour. Thanks so much for being with us, and uh, and gosh. I just, I don't know, we're going to have to somehow, Matt, you and I have a conclusion of this after Sunday night because I'm, I'm going to need to live back with you to, for, for closure on this. <laughs> I'm like, I am on, God, I can't wait to see Sunday night, just huge. Okay, thanks so much, guys. See you soon. Bye. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at vfx at fxguide.com. Copyright FX Guide, LLC.